What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Dear Culture, the podcast here on the Griot's Black Podcast Network by, for, and about black culture. And I am so excited to have today's conversation because it involves one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite people who wrote one of my favorite books. Please welcome virtually, digitally, Bossy Ikpi to Dear Culture. What's going on, homie? Thank you. I am so happy to be here. And I also love talking to you on podcasts. I'm a big pop culture fan, so all your takes are are right there. I was telling the producers before, I was like, you know, Bossy always is willing to indulge these these black movie conversations. The very first time I met you, I think we ended up having this lengthy conversation about like black movies, but like the ones nobody else has ever seen, but we'd seen those movies, and it's like, oh, you're my people. You get it. Like you understand. Yes. I've always seen the thing that you think no one has seen. Yes. Yes. So I'm so happy to have you here. It's always a fun time when I get an opportunity to talk to you, work with you in any capacity. And you're also the author of one of my favorite books. Can you tell everybody a little bit about your book for those that aren't familiar uh, about your New York Times bestselling book? Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, it is, uh, I'm telling the truth, but I'm lying. It's a, it's a memoir told in essays, and it is chronicling my life uh pre and post diagnosis with bipolar two disorder. So I write a lot about anxiety, uh, depression, and just sort of the, 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 the lives I've, I've lived in order to get to the point that I am now. It's written in such an artistic way and it's so creative that it draws you in. Like no chapter, no two chapters are the same. Like everything is like its own unique standing version of what's I'm guessing going on in your mind. And it's just, it's truly fascinating. I I really could not speak more highly of a book, but that's not why we're here today. Today we're here talking black movies and black film and one particular film, Boomerang. Boomerang is the romantic comedy released July 1st, 1992, where ad executive and ladies man, the iconic Marcus Graham played by Eddie Murphy gets a taste of his own medicine. He tried to win the heart of his coworker, Jacqueline Broyer played by Robin Givens and is torn between her and someone who he's attracted to in a different way, Angela, who is played by Halle Berry in what I believe is one of her first roles. The star-studded cast, the funny yet sexy storyline, and the vision of successful black men and women on the big screen in the 90s shows how iconic this movie was and still is 30 years later. It's 30 years old now. The movie was released on July 1st, 1992. So that's like mind-blowing in and of itself. I can't believe that. Yeah. I feel like I shouldn't have been able to see this in theaters because I was like 13 when this movie comes out. But I also know my parents let me watch Coming to America. And and that came out when I was like nine. So it's entirely possible I saw that in theaters. Did you see it in theaters? I definitely did not see it in theaters. I cannot remember the first time I saw it. I just know that once I saw it, I watched it repeatedly. And it became immediately top five favorite movies, like right underneath Back to the Future or something. I love it. Anytime it's on, I watch it. What I vividly remember about it, though, was the soundtrack. My, my dad bought the soundtrack immediately. Uh, he was in love with Tony Braxton, who features prominently on the soundtrack. That used to be one of his uh, cr- uh, Christmas requests. He wanted Mariah, Janet, uh, or Tony Braxton under the Christmas tree every year. This was a standing <laughs> request. So I do this thing at on the Grio. And I, for Black Music Month, which was in June, I took a different movie every uh, every week that had that was both an iconic movie and had an iconic soundtrack. And I asked the question that nobody else asked or nobody ever dared to question, which is better, the movie or the soundtrack? We did Love Jones. We did Soul Food. We did Waiting to Exhale. That soundtrack murdered the movie. 
And I figure Boomerang will be a good one to do because the movie is so iconic. The soundtrack is also iconic because of like Tony Braxton, among other things. Why do you think Boomerang has such a long and standing like reverence in the black community in general? Uh, I think for a couple of reasons. I think that it is a timeless movie. Some of the jokes probably wouldn't translate, wouldn't make it at 2022. But with the exception of those jokes, the storyline, the framing, the, um, the, 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 the all black, you know, marketing PR department or company, all of that translates. It's, it stands firm. It's, 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 it's all timeless. And I also think that it's just a very good rom-com. When we have these conversations about rom-coms, we talk about When Harry Met Sally, we talk about um, My Best Friend's Wedding, and we don't really talk about Boomerang. And Boomerang, and I'm I'm a rom-com connoisseur. Me too. I also love the fact that this movie really doesn't have many white people in it. Like, it's one of the few movies that literally centers blackness through and through. Everybody who's working at the firm is black for the most part. Like, I can't specifically remember if there are any white people with lines in the movie. Except for when they go to New Orleans. There's the scene in New Orleans. Remember, they go into the the shop. And they're exposing racism there. But it mainstreams blackness. Like, in, in the boomerang world... Black blackness is the the mainstream culture, right? That's yeah. all that matters. My guess is that's part of why it holds so much reverence too, because it's for us. It literally is a movie about blackness, directed by Reggie Hudlin. It's also very timeless because every time I watch it, it doesn't necessarily feel as much like a time capsule. The clothing, perhaps. The, the clothing, yeah. You just unlocked a memory for me. The reason why I saw Boomerang is because Eddie Murphy was on. I want to say David Letterman and. He was talking about the criticism that the movie was getting, which is, you know, it was unrealistic because it was all black. And, you know, and he felt really strongly about the fact that it's unrealistic to white people. But this is this is who we are. And I remember thinking like, whoa, I want to see this movie. I don't don't think I had any interest really before that. But that what you just said, unlocked that memory for me, uh, that Eddie Murphy interview. And it is fascinating, too, because, you know, Eddie Murphy was coming off of. Two movies that I think people viewed as not good in another 48 hours and Harlem Nights. And I loved Harlem Nights. Like, I genuinely loved that movie. So I read a bunch of old reviews of Boomerang. Some people loved it, thought it was great, like Eddie's back. And some people thought, look, this is a terrible movie. Eddie has no soul. It's cliche and all that stuff. So it's fascinating to see what, like, that time capsule view was of Boomerang when 30 years later, it's probably as popular now to people. My guess, anyway. Let me say that. My guess is it's, a, it's as popular now as it was back then, especially in the consciousness of Black people talking Black movies. Yeah. Because of, you know, it starred Eddie Murphy, Robin Givens, and we'll get to all these people, and, and Hallie, Martin Lawrence. Um, Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this, it's just a, it's just a great, it's just a great movie. And I wonder, I a lot of it is, I wonder if it's not for white people. Nah, like, not I, at all. I, I just don't think it's for them. It's not for y'all. Like, this is, I think that's another reason why it holds up so well, because it is, I, it just feels so purely for us that there's no other gaze. It's just, I, I, I think that's part of it too, why it holds up so well. The soundtrack. It also has an amazing soundtrack. That's how I even got here. 
uh, on LaFace Records, which was killing the game in the early 90s. L.A. Reid and Babyface formed LaFace. They put out TLC, Tony Braxton. This soundtrack is the debut of Tony Braxton. It features one of the biggest songs of all time in End of the Road. The soundtrack is as iconic as the movie, I think. But I do wonder, you know, which one is more iconic, if that's even a real conversation. But I decided to ask the question. So let's start at the top. When you think of Boomerang, what do you think of first? Do you think of the movie or do you think of the soundtrack? I think of the movie first. I think of the movie first, but it's because I forget how iconic the soundtrack is. There were songs that I forgot were from the soundtrack that are huge. Yep. They're huge songs. Like End of the Road is a huge song. And I completely forgot that it was part of the soundtrack. These songs go, the, the, the Charlie Wilson, Aaron Hall song. Yes. The ad-libs, at the, it goes. So immediately I think about the movie, but that soundtrack, you cannot deny that soundtrack. I think of the movie first. Uh, the movie is quotes on quotes. So many quotes that we still use today that maybe people don't even realize come from Boomerang. Every time you hear somebody say, first the fat boys break up, now this. Now like this. that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. It's just so, it's became such a part of the consciousness that people say that in aren't even thinking about the movie when they do it. It's just part of it. I think the soundtrack is is an iconic one for the reasons you said. But I'm also I also got to the point when I was thinking through this, I was like, if the soundtrack even has a chance, because this movie was such a monster. The soundtrack, as great as it is, was more of a compliment than it was like its own standalone thing. So for you, which one had more impact, the movie or the soundtrack? Again, I come in wanting to say the movie, but I cannot deny the soundtrack. I just cannot. It's also when I realized I had a crush on on uh, Babyface, which I did not know before. Okay. Before the uh, give you my heart, give you my heart. Give you my heart. The first single from the the first single. Yes. The way that I'm I'm looking at it is that the movie to me I watch when I remember to watch it, whereas I put on the soundtrack because I'll think of a song and just let it play all the way through. And I do that consistently. I just went through a, 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 a phase with the soundtrack like a month or two ago. And I watched the movie about three or four months ago. For me, it's probably gonna have to be the movie. And here's a couple of reasons. Number one, the movie did like, domestically did like $130 million, but on opening weekend, it did like 13 million. But I looked this up in 2022 dollars. It did like $30 million comparatively. This was Eddie Murphy. I mean, this is Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. This is Robin Givens coming off all of the Mike Tyson stuff. I mean, she was persona non grata for quite it some gave time. Her so career back, yeah. The specter of Robin Givens even being here—it's like, whoa, who who made that call? Like, why is Robin Givens even around? Because we did not love Robin Givens, and yeah. you know, she she. There's probably going to need to be some type of a documentary about how wrong the black community did Robin Givens at some point. Like, we really got to get back <laughs> to to giving her her props. We had an unknown Halle Berry for real. And Halle Berry hops on the screen and all of a sudden she's like, that's Halle Berry, right? The soundtrack, interestingly, it ends up over time going like triple platinum. But it was a little bit of a slow burn. I mean, for one, this was Tony Braxton's debut. So a lot of these songs hit. 
end of the road wasn't even a number one song until like five or six weeks down the line. So I think the songs and how much people loved Boomerang the movie made people love the songs too because the songs were so well placed in the film. Oh, perfectly placed. Perfectly I almost placed. wonder if, like for instance, Love Should Have Brought You Home, right? Like when Halle Berry, Love Should Have Brought Your Ass Home. You know, I'm sick and tired of men using love like it's some kind of disease you just catch. Love should have brought your ass home last night. And that song, it's like, wow, there's a song for that. And that song matters. Like that song is real, which was supposed to be an, an Anita Baker song. And she was just pregnant, so she suggested Tony Braxton do the song. And really, <laughs> yes, I found that out doing some research that this was really a, a an Anita wow. Baker song, or was Anita I Baker was supposed it. to do that song? Yeah, I can hear I, it. I, I can hear it. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I do think the movie was just more of an impact because it's Eddie Murphy, right? Like Eddie Murphy was, he's Eddie Murphy. And this is the '90s, the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s, Eddie. Whether or not white people enjoyed all of his movies is irrelevant because for us, it's Eddie Murphy. And it's Eddie Murphy in a rom-com. Eddie Murphy kind of toning down some of that excess of the 48 Hours and the Beverly Hills Cop and, and that stuff and kind of like smoothing it out. He was calm. He was smooth. I never considered uh, Eddie Murphy as like a heartthrob type of leading romantic you know, romantic lead type until this movie. And I think that I, I wish that he would have done more rom-coms. I really wish he would have, he would have found like that Tom Hanks space for, for, for black rom-coms. I, I think that would have been a really, really good direction for him. He definitely could have been that guy if he'd wanted to be, because he was still he making movies and stuff, but if he wanted to be, he definitely could. All right. Yeah. We're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, some more questions that I have that is going to help us determine which is more iconic, the movie or the soundtrack. And thus far, I think the movie's up 2-0. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer. When you tell someone you're around the corner, how long does it take you to get there? Oh, me? About 30 minutes. <laughs> Clearly, you already know that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that might be a conservative estimate. To get more information on this show and many podcasts like it, download the Grio app and tell a friend to tell a friend and share it with everyone you know. We're back here on Dear Culture talking Boomerang, a movie that just turned 30 years old that is beloved by black people near and far. And uh, is one of my favorite movies of all time, is revered heavily by everybody who loves black movies. And it's a black rom-com, something that there was an entire genre of in the late 90s and early aughts that, you know, this was kind of the one that set the bar for it. And we're trying to determine which one is more iconic, the movie or the soundtrack. Thus far, the movie, I think, is up 2-0 using this very rudimentary rubric that I've created out of nowhere that nobody asked for that I thought the culture needed. The third question I have to help determine this, the answer to this is, how many iconic stars are in it? I mean, just read the list of people in the movie and then we could talk about that. So, Eddie Murphy, Robin Givens, Halle Berry, Martin Lawrence, David Allen Greer, John Witherspoon, Chris Rock, John Terrell Canada, who, I hope I got his name right. I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to check on that. But that's Flash from Flash and the Ebony Sparks in the the Five Heartbeats. 
another one of the greatest movies of all time. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eartha Kitt, Melvin Van Peebles, Grace Jones, Jeffrey Holder, Leela Roshan, and Tisha Campbell. Those are just the people off the top of my head that I could just like, boom, just, just write down. That is an insane cast. That's nuts. That's everybody. Especially for like 1992, right? This yeah, is, and- this is, yeah. Martin and Martin and Eddie Murphy in a movie together at this point is like, wow. Robin Givens, Halle Berry going to Halle Berry. And Melvin Van Peebles is basically just in a scene in the movie helping cut some some stuff, but he's there. It, it makes me wonder who wasn't on in it and why. <laughs> like, <laughs> Good question. Like who 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 did they ask to be in this movie? And they were like, mm, not really. That's a good question. I do wonder who didn't make the cut or who said no for timing or whatever reasons. Like, who else was up for the role of Halle, that, that Halle Berry took? Who else was up for Angela? Who because at this possibly? point, she and, and maybe it was just meant for her the entire time. I didn't do the research to see if that <laughs> the entire time. But that's interesting. Like, who, who didn't show up, who wasn't able to be there that has probably been kicking themselves for 30 years? It's so perfectly cast that if somebody told me that they cast, wrote, and 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 did the soundtrack like within three days of each other, I'd be like, that makes sense. It's so perfect. Like everybody fits their role so perfectly that it just, there's just no other way. Like how could they, how could they do that? Fair enough. So here's all the people that are on the album. Babyface wrote and produced a significant portion of this, but he also sings on it. So Babyface, L.A. Reid, one of the producers, Dallas Austin, is one of the producers. Uh, look, these just those three people alone in the early 90s, they're at the height of their successes. Tony Braxton, who kicks the door open. Boys to Men, who coming off of Cooley High Harmony. In fact, this song, End of the Road, was so big, they reissued Cooley High Harmony to add End of the Road to it in 1993 because they wanted to get any additional sales that they could because the song was so big. Are uh, you joking? Yeah, because the album comes out in 1991, but End of the Road was, I mean, it was, uh, it hit number one. It was on, it was like number one for like 13 straight weeks. So they're like, you know what? Let's see if people will buy Cooley High Harmony again if we add this, if we add this to it. Keith Washington, PM Dawn, Johnny Gill, A Tribe Called Quest, uh, Shawnice, TLC, Aaron Hall, Grace Jones. So for me, this is the one place I think maybe the soundtrack wins in terms of the iconic people because Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy, right? But I don't know, this might be where the soundtrack actually wins one category for me in terms of the iconic people, though it's hard to say that 30 years later because we're talking Martin and Robin Given and Halle Berry, Chris Rock. You know, we're talking like these people who are otherworldly in the consciousness. But in 1992... And and if you think about it too, um, Martin and Rock... We're playing minor characters, even within the context of of now, who they were back then and who they played in the movie. There are minor roles. Yes. Um, They weren't all Eddie Murphy roles. It wasn't an ensemble cast in that way. It was really Eddie Murphy's film. I remember when I watched it, it was was Eddie Murphy and Robin Givens that were the names as far as I remember. And I was surprised when I watched it that Robin Givens didn't win at the end or that she, you know, like she wasn't, she wasn't, um, she wasn't the romantic lead. She wasn't the one that he ended up with. Uh, so in retrospect, I definitely think that the soundtrack had the 
people who were hottest at the time. Yes. You want to hear a funny story since you brought up the end of the movie? Do you know the original ending of the movie was uh, Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence, and David Allen Greer on the roof hugging? That was the original ending of the film where the the Empire State Building lights up and it's like what happened was people saw the movie. They focus grouped. It's like this can't end here. Marcus has to make a choice between Angela and Jacqueline. He has to choose. So they went back and reshot the whole rest of the movie where he goes to her new job and he basically decides that he's going to be with her. Right. So they want it basically was a bro film, a bromance film originally. And then they went back and added it because people like it's a romantic comedy. He has to choose somebody and he ends up choosing Angela in the end. Yes. Did you know that? Your face is telling me you no, did not. No, I did not know that. And low key, I prefer that ending because I hated, I hated the 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 for a rom com that I love. I hated the romance. I thought he didn't deserve her. I thought that that there was he didn't prove himself. He stole her from his dude. Like so, all that stuff I didn't like. I prefer that. I prefer that ending. Yeah, I uh, I was listening to another podcast that was talking about Boomerang, and they dropped that bomb, and I was like, wait a minute, the movie was supposed to end with them all hugging and reconciling, like I the guys finally that. coming back together. Marcus has realized he's been a bad friend. He needs to make some changes. You know, Martin is about to burn down the. You know, he's grilling. They're all so it's interesting. It changes the entire perspective of the film too, because if it ends there. I think it's a good ending. And and you might be right. Like I kind of wonder if it stops there how people view the film too. Like do we care that he didn't choose? Because we we know he kind of left Jacqueline cuz there was a whole thing, you know, where they're in bed and he's like, "You're right, I shouldn't be here." And then they kind of move on. So we we just kind of understand that that's the end of it. But he has to go back and win Angela over. Can I ask you a question? Mhm. Please. Um when you think about this movie, do you think about the romance? Is 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 it an iconic romantic coupling in your opinion no and it's funny you mention that because that's actually what we're going to get to next oh when i think of this movie i tend to think about all the other stuff outside of the romance so the so the next question i was going to have was what are the biggest moments from the soundtrack or from the film and which one is bigger so for instance when i think of this movie and this gets directly to what you're asking I think of the Grace Jones scene in the in the restaurant. You are going to turn down like this, staring you smack in your face. No man can turn down this <laughs> because of how quotable it is. I think of the dinner scene because of John Witherspoon's, which I believe actually was entirely improv. Now, Marcus, I hear a girl dog. Got you. Why don't you? Reversed it. Don't be put. Whip that. Look. Bang, 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 bang. I think that perfect. whole thing. Yeah, that wasn't scripted, if I'm not mistaken. There's no uh, way you could script something that perfect. Yeah, I think so. That everybody's reactions are literally the real time reactions of <laughs> responding to John Witherspoon <laughs> with the reverse that. Um, the coordinate stuff I think was in there, but they were kind of told to just go have at it. Because I think that was also added after the fact. Some of that stuff wasn't planned as part of the film, and it was kind of added in. You can see Eddie smiling. The biggest scenes in the movie, the romance stuff is cool, but I love everything else about it that could have stood on its own. You know what I didn't like now that you bring up Eartha Kitt? 
I didn't like how they did Eartha. They played her a little bit. Like, understood she was older and it was a whole thing, but they made her look like she was, like, just disgusting. I saw clips last night, so she looked good. Wouldn't you like to get a little bit more? She did. It was a little bit unbelievable. Like, they tried to... They. It's hard to to tamp down the sexiness of easily one of the most sexy women like that's ever existed in Hollywood. So the fact that they had to go so far with it was kind of unbelievable, but it was yeah. funny. Well, look, Arthur Kitt gave us some of the greatest lines in the movie. Marcus. <laughs> I don't have any panties. Like, I laugh so hard every time. But again, one of those iconic lines. For me, you're right. The romance part is not actually the stuff that I focus most on when I'm thinking about this movie. It's all of the other stuff. It's the most inappropriate commercial of all time for the strange <laughs> the the afterbirth after i love nelson like it's, it's all that stuff what what are the biggest scenes in the movie for you the moment that comes to mind every time i think of that of of, of this movie is when angela says love should have brought you home last night like pokes yes. him in the forehead and i have a a mandela effect that as soon as she says that, the beat drops and the song plays. Is that accurate? I don't think that's entirely accurate, but or like the music is playing quietly in the background while it's while it's happening. Like there's definitely something playing. Yeah. Um, but I, don't yeah. Know, I, I just watched the movie, and for some reason, I've still decided that this memory I have that the, that she does that and the beat drops. Let's, let's say, it but it's that a way. it's a sizable moment because number one, it's a statement that literally every woman could use from here forward. It's literally one of the most accurate statements of all time. There's a song that goes with it that you can play if, if it ain't working. So if you need to set a mood when your man ain't showing up on time and he comes home, <laughs> boom, you can play it. And he already knows what's up. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Those are, there's so many huge iconic scenes in the movie. And funny enough, the, the romance of it is not really the thing that draws me in. There's so much good comedy. Performances. It has such good performances. Everybody in the movie was... They fit their role so well that, and the lines and the way they delivered their lines. Tisha Campbell, like all her, like she oh, had yes. very, very small scenes, but she put so much into these scenes that you can't think of the movie without thinking about her. Again, going back to how we started this, as someone during that time who started to read scripts and like write them a little bit and, and really study them, I don't think it's a strong script. I think it's a strong it's a it's a movie with strong performances and i think that's where the soundtrack takes it over in my mind i think it has all of the above writing yeah. and and it has i do want to mention one other scene that really uh impacted me it was the scene when david allen greer's character's parents are in the bathroom john they're in the bathroom getting it on and he's like my parent and it's the hug that Eddie Murphy gives David Allen Greer of acknowledgement and except no words have to be shared. It's just this understanding of like the soundtrack has one of the biggest musical moments ever in End of the Road again. So I I feel like this is one of those areas where I think the soundtrack, because the romance is the point of the movie, but it's not the most memorable part of the movie. Meanwhile, the biggest moment on the soundtrack, End of the Road, becomes one of the biggest moments in music history. It's largely considered one of the best songs of the 90s. Again, they reissued an entire album two years later just to try to maximize the sales of an old album by putting the song on there. It's Boys to Men who are at their height at this time. They're about to drop uh, their two album with I'll Make Love to You and all this. So they're like literally about to like explode. So for me, End of the Road is the biggest moment of the soundtrack and it's bigger 
than perhaps the biggest like there's a bunch of smaller moments in the movie that are huge but i'm willing to go with the soundtrack on this one as well because of end of the road what say you i i, I agree because we pm dawn that was a huge song it was, that was a huge song i um, thought you was huge aaron hall and and charlie wilson who you when you hear Aaron Hall, you think about Charlie Wilson for so long. So they have the two of them on a track together, giving each other props for three minutes. Like they just just <laughs> it, it's such a beautiful it, it, it's such a historical, beautiful moment that to add that it's not a big song. It, it didn't I'm sure it didn't chart right. highly or well. So I don't think I ever heard it outside of, of the soundtrack, but it's right. such a iconic moment between these two these two singers and then keith washington who i hadn't heard his name since you just said it <laughs> i know right i mean it, it, except on that episode of martin keith keith like Tisha <laughs> K- remember, that was her ex-boyfriend right oh that was, that's I, right that was her ex-boyfriend and martin was so concerned that keith washington was gonna come and steal his girl oh that's right see this is this is, this is the um the the video lp you know, hour as opposed to the video soul hour, which is which is different, which is different. <laughs> right. And then it had, of course, uh, Love Should Have Brought You Home. Like, it's just I think the big moments from the soundtrack really. Uh, yeah, I'm with you there. So I'm, I'm going soundtrack on that one, too. Yeah, that's soundtrack. Yeah. Which puts us at two for two. So the the final the final question that I have is which has remained more culturally relevant since it came out? And I think this is easily the movie. I disagree. Okay. Oh, good. We have a disagreement. I disagree. And I'll I'll tell tell you why I disagree. I disagree because there was a television show that was supposed to be a sequel to the movie, and it completely dismantled what was beautiful about the movie. And because it was so easy to do, I feel like the the soundtrack had more staying power. Because I don't think that if it was a stronger... I don't know. I don't want to say script, but if it was a stronger something, it wouldn't have been that easy to just tear apart the legacy and keep it pushing. That's what I feel. Here's why I'm going to push back on that. Nobody saw that TV show except me and you. I watched both <laughs> seasons. So I watched that whole... The first season was awesome, actually. I thought it was great. The second season got way too weird. It was like they tried to veer into like Atlanta, like Donald Glover Atlanta territory with like what and it was just like nobody watched this stuff. Plus, it was on like um it was on BET. And I think the second BET season might have been like BET Plus. So I don't even know how many people watched it. I, I wrote articles about it because I thought it was so I thought the show was so well done. But I do agree. They like they took some liberties trying to destroy some of this. But I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. I didn't like here's that. Here's why I'll say the movie is more culturally relevant. It's because of the quotables. You will never not think of the word coordinate without thinking of boomerang and thinking of that scene. People still say you got to reverse that. They they still do that. They still all the all the uh, the bony T Chris Rock quotes are still in there. I am more likely to watch the movie than I am to pull out the soundtrack. Like I listen oh. to the soundtrack. I listened to the soundtrack recently, and it's really good. But it's more. It feels more of a time capsule of that era than the movie, which feels more timeless to me. The movie still feels like it's relevant today because of the themes and everything. Uh, brotherhood, um, snaking your man to get to get his girl, even though they weren't even together, you know, they're in and David Allen Green and Halle Berry's awkwardness was so wonderful. 
Like that it was it was they're so goofy. But I just feel like the movie is something I'm more likely to reference, more likely to watch and engage with in the soundtrack at this point. I, for those same reasons, I have to go with the soundtrack. I was I was listening to the soundtrack in the car this morning. It reminded me of the conversations that, that we constantly have about bringing back R&B. And people are always talking about bringing back the ballads, I feel. They're not talking about bringing up the up-tempo. And the, the up-tempo songs, the songs that have you like... <laughs> like yeah. those songs, yeah. those are... That was the height of, of, of that kind of... Not necessarily New Jack Swing because it's not, but like that that up tempo R and B, like the, it encapsulates that, and I love that. That's what I love about R and B. That's that's my era. That's my my whole you know dancing in the circle thing. You should never have told me about the original ending because I prefer that so much because I think about David Allen Greer and how well he played that like you know the quiet friend who 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 is you know more introverted than his like bombastic homies um and how well he did that and 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 that moment you just brought up about him hugging about uh marcus hugging him and Mm -hmm. and they're just like different little things like that the even even chris rock's part where he's the the mailroom guy and then the the executive is like that's his dude too like i would i want to see that i think that's the movie the brothers the brothers should have been I know what um, you're talking about. You're talking about Morris Chestnut, D.L. Yes, Huey, Shamar Moore. Yes. Another movie and, uh, that I love. Bellamy. Another movie yeah. that I love. I love that movie as well. And I I think that because the romance fell so flat to me, um, both at the time and in, 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 in hindsight, I would have loved to see the brother bonding movie. And now that I know that, that it could have existed that way, I have to go with the soundtrack. If I can, I can't improve upon the soundtrack, but I can rewrite that movie. So this is interesting. I wasn't expecting to be split down the middle. So I think the only way that we can actively decide which one is which one is more iconic is we got to come to a decision. Is rock paper scissors? Oh God! Okay. We're gonna have to do this. Are you ready? I right, listen, and I just came up with this on the spot because I really was like, I have no idea how we're gonna make this work. So you're going soundtrack. A, I'm going movie. Are you ready? I have a, we're gonna I have have to a do 15 this. Fifteen year old child, and, and I, I have four. Have a, I have oh, four you got kids. Four. Yeah, who who do this to get out of the bat? Who has to get out of the bathtub first? So, uh, you ready? We got this is ridiculous, by the way. I just this is black culture at its finest. I just right, want well, everybody me, to know. Let me let me stretch. Let me get this ready. All right. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Rock. Rock. Paper. Paper. Scissors. Scissors. Shoot. I had a rock. Damn. Boom. All right. We're going best two out of three. We can wrap this up. We got like I'm about to I'm about to wrap this up. All right. You you count. I, I'll just. Do it. Ready? All right. Ready? Yeah. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay. All right. Last one. We go. This is, this is gonna have to work this way. Ready? Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Ah. Boom. Paper. Movie wins. All right. That was the blackest thing you're ever gonna see in a podcast. By the way, that we had to rock paper scissors shoot this to to decide which one. The movie wins. Uh, the movie's better, than, more iconic than the soundtrack. That's how I wanted it to end. I'm surprised it almost didn't get there. <laughs> we're gonna take a real quick break here at Dear Culture. When we come back, we got some black fashions, a black accommodation, and we're gonna find out where you can check out everything that Bossy is doing on Dear Culture. You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network. Black culture amplified. Don't forget. You can listen to the Griot's Writing Black podcast hosted by me, Maisha Kai. This isn't your typical writing podcast. 
we interview any and everybody that has anything to do with writing, from comics to poets to authors to journalists to politicians and more. Remember, that's Writing Black every Sunday right here on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. Download the Griot's app to listen to Writing Black wherever you are. All right, we're back here on Dear Culture, and we're here with one of my favorite segments, which is our Black Fashions, which is a Black confession where our guests tell us something that we might not expect about uh, themselves that might fly in the face of the rest of Black stereotypical culture. But as we love to say in our community, we are not a monolith. So go ahead and prove that for us. What is your Black Fashion? This might actually ruin my career. Oh, Um, interesting. I'm ready. I'm not a fan of Martin. I I I try. I want to I want to be there with people, but I just didn't like it. I thought he was mean. He was. I didn't like how he treated Pam. I didn't like how he treated Gina. I think Martin probably lives more uh, fondly in the consciousness than when people go back and watch. I hear a lot more people say this. They're like, you know, I don't think I like Martin as much as I thought I used to. Like, I still love it, but I don't watch it the way that I used to. But I remember all this stuff about Martin. So it sits very high in the, in the like black consciousness, black pop, pop cultural consciousness. But I've heard more people say that than than you think i I get all the references like like it's it's such a part of the zeitgeist and such a part of like popular culture black popular culture that i i I can sit here and and talk about it like i've seen every single episode multiple times um but yeah whenever people get nostalgic for it i'm like "Mm." going back and rewatching it martin was a mean little dude right martin definitely was napoleon complex out heavy yeah, okay. All right. Well, that's not that bad. I, you're not the first person I've heard say that. I, I've heard several people make that comment, public, even publicly. Okay. So uh, I think you're okay. I think you're on good ground. Good. I'm glad I chose that one. <laughs> <laughs> For those people who might have a problem with that, we also like to do a black recommendation where our guests get the opportunity to recommend something by, for, and about culture, uh, black culture specifically, and hopefully put people up on something they might not be up on yet. So do you have a black recommendation for us? I'm going to have to go with my book, BIPOC Mental Health Month in July. It's been about three years since the book came out. And the more I think about it and the more conversations I have about it, I'm able to accept <laughs> that I did something important with it. And I'm very mm. proud of it. Um and I would love for people to read it and not just read it, but also get to a point where other people are writing books like that about our journeys with mental health that is not pathologized or criminalized or, or you know, a threaded to death on, um, on, on Twitter or what have you. Like, I really want us to not just keep having the conversation, but having the conversation and moving it forward. And the name of the book is? I'm telling the truth, but I'm lying. Available where all books are sold. (laughs) So I'm going to say this. I love that we're in this era where a lot of black people's stories are being published. Right. And we're getting a lot of people are getting an opportunity to tell their stories. And it's it's helpful. Your book is fascinating to me. Like I, I have said this numerous times. I just I. Thank you. I, I literally, I, I feel that strongly about it. I mean, Damon, my partner at VSB, he and I talked about it. They were like, yo, this is insane. Like how good this, how it's just so well written. Like you can tell that you're a poet and somebody who is 
an artist and a creative and that that just but the ability to do that in so many different ways over so many chapters like it's just kudos to you you. so i also i co-signed this black recommendation to anybody listening i started out saying that we can close it out saying that where can people find you social media all that stuff at bossy world on across all platforms but it's basically just pop culture hot takes and and the television shows that i'm watching or anything that I that I'm starting to enjoy, and, and that makes me enjoy Twitter more. And you are a person who loves black movies of varying level of goodness as much as anybody I know. I always know if there's a if there's a quote unquote bad black movie out there, I'm like I, I bet Bossy has seen this movie. Like I I, <laughs> I spend a lot of time on Tubi, and I've seen a lot of movies that only exist on Tubi. And um, so your your yeah. your contributions to <laughs> upliftment of black cinematic joy. <laughs> are duly noted and appreciated. Thank so, you. It's the very least I can do. Right. So <laughs> thank you for joining me here. This is great. I love this conversation. We got a chance to talk about Boomerang. Great movie, great film. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you to everybody for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, make sure you download the Griot's app and listen to all this amazing original black content we have from the Griot Black Podcast Network. All this wonderful stuff we have going on at the Griot. The app is amazing. I actually use it. So I'm not just telling you to download something because I work here. It's actually a very dope app and I love it and I and I use it. Uh, please email all questions, concerns, scams, uh, love letters, misguided letters, anything you have to podcast at the Griot. Uh, Dear Culture is an, uh, is an original production. Brought to you by the Grio Black Podcast Network. I'm your host, Panama Jackson. Thanks for checking us out. Have a black one. Next week on Dear Culture, Byron Allen. You must always position yourself to win. Most people are not positioned to win. And it's just those kinds of interactions help me understand, okay, when we go into this business, how do we win? How do we do this? See, look at the Black News Channel. We talk, We started talking about the Black News Channel. Look at that. It was positioned to fail.